So we asked the parents to provide a verse that embodies some sort of hope they have for their child. And I helped a little bit this week. Um, because, and so I kind of co-opted it a little bit. But Shania's cool with it. Mike's cool with it. Because I think it's something that we all have. And we all need a little bit of encouragement in. And you see, we live in a tricky world. We all know that. There's lots of different ideas out there. Our kids are given them sometimes without our permission. And sometimes it's because we're not doing our jobs enough. And so we're realizing more and more, just like when God led the people into the land of Canaan, that we're in tricky times. And so we understand that the church has always been countercultural, and the church has not changed. The kingdom of God has not changed. The culture always will. It'll, it'll come and go with different ideas. But we have Christ. And so the one thing that we're reminded of today in a service like this is that we are covenantal people. And we have a responsibility as adults to steward our children well. And, and, and we only have them for a little time. Seems like that's not true, but it's true. Some of you, I'm looking at some people and almost all your kids are in college and you're like, yay, but aw. And so it doesn't take very long, and your kids are just stuck in adulthood, right? Most of our lives are lived as adults, whether you like it or not. And so we take time when we baptize a child to think about our role as adults and think about the goal that we have for our kids. Jesus loved hanging out with kids. Jesus taught kids. But he also taught others to take care and steward kids. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to have a good look at character. How do we grow our kids in character? What is character? And so we're going to open the 119th Psalm. We're going to read all of it. It'll take us about four hours. Now we're going to read 10 verses. And we're going to, we're going to ask of the scriptures and we're going to allow the scriptures to inform us and give us an idea of what is the greatest things we can give our kids. And that's character. In Christ. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 119. And it's probably on the screen above me. This is probably the smallest print of any Bible I have in my holster. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but it's a psalm about Scripture. It's a psalm about how Scripture guides us in life. And someone has called it the psalm on the greatness and glory of God's Word. Blessed are those, blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are, be, that, that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. And here's the focus this morning. How can a young man or young person, how can a young person keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And one more. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what is the target that you have for your kid, or kids, or grandkids, or kids in our community? Well, the character, or or target, should be character. 
every few years or so, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this show on TLC. You know TLC, the life-crushing channel? You know what I mean? Almost every person that's been on that show has been obliterated in some shape or form. But they call it the learning channel, but it is, should be called the life-crushing channel. Well, they show, they often do a show every few years on the devastating consequences of lottery winners. I mean, mega million lottery winners. And it's really hard not to watch that show. It's like watching a, a train slowly wreck. And it's spellbinding because it's just amazing how you see people who have literally stood in every line at the gas station, usually with me behind them until you had tap, asking for every single lottery ticket, they finally get what they wanted. Mega millions. Oh, my life's going to be amazing. But it doesn't turn out that way. And what's amazing is, is how this blessing of fortune turns into a train wreck, a curse. It's a curse of lost relationships, terrible habits. And for the most part, and statistically, it's like 80%, those who've won mega million jackpots become victims of, well, I don't know if it's victims, but victims of abject poverty. They can't handle it. And so it's, it's, it's head-scratching until you realize what the importance of character is. So what exactly is character? Well, first we need to explore a little bit about Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a prayer, and it's a long prayer. So if you really want to, you know, get your kids busy, tell them to memorize it. And you won't see them for about a month. It's long. It's 176 verses long, and it's... It's about God's Word and the connection between the Bible and living well. It shows us that if you want to live well, it's not a crapshoot. It's not a just like, oh, I hope I live well. <laughs> that living well takes strategy. That living well takes a little bit of thought, a lot of thought. And what the psalmist in 119 says, if you want to live well, you're going to live it according to the Scripture. But what Psalm 119 focuses on is the young people. Because in the first 10 verses, we find out that it is a question answered, how do these young people survive this world? How do they live well? How are these young people going to do it in this tricky world? How are they going to not lose their way? Now, if you look at Psalm 119, you can pull up that verse. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? The word for way is ara. Is that word up there? I kind of skipped over a few things. Go to the next slide. Yes, that's good. Now, I should say this. In Scripture, and you can look at the book of Proverbs about this, the Scripture makes finding out how to live right very easy. So there's two ways in scriptures you can live. The right way, there's that, is that picture up there, that two paths? Oh, Sid, you're amazing. So scripture says there's basically two ways to live. There's two ways to live, that's it. Not 40, not 50, not 10, not 9, there's two ways. There's the way of the, starts with a W, Jared, rhymes with mys. There's the way of the wise, and there's the way of the, rhymes with cool, starts with F fool. There's two ways. There's the right way and the wrong way. There's the way of the wise. There's the way of the fool. There's the way of God. There's the way of the world. That's it. So that's it. When you're teaching your kids, there's two ways to live. Okay? So, 
how do you choose the right path? And of course, Scripture is a part of this. Now, the word for way here is the word arah in the Hebrew. And it has with it a sense of manner or behavior or constitution. How is the young man or woman going to keep their constitution pure? How are they going to be able to consistently attack the world well? How do they stay afloat in the stormy seas? How do they stay directed on the path? How do they stay uncontaminated in this dirty and distracted world of ours? How do we protect against corrupting the soul or the character? See, character, I don't know if you ever think about character, but character is important. For instance, the character of your vehicle is important. Okay? If the frame is rotten, if the, character, if the frame is rotten on your vehicle, I'm not driving with you anywhere. Some of you, I wouldn't anyways. Character is important. Character is your constitution. Okay? Character is, is, is how you're wired. It's how you're framed. It's the integrity of all the parts of who you are that helps you engage the world. Character is the core of who you are. Okay? That's what character is. D.L. Moody defines character this way. Character is what you are when nobody's looking. So, for instance, you're at Superstore. You hand them a 50. Somehow you get $20 extra back. No one knows this but you and God, by the way. What do you do? That's character in that moment. Character is, you know, you work somewhere. You could fudge the numbers a little bit, make a little more. No one would know except God. Character is who you are in that moment. Herbert Spencer, also a theologian and teacher, he says this about character. Character is man's greatest need and greatest safeguard. Uh, Chuck Swindoll was talking about um, how on the board of Dallas Seminary, he was on the board with a very famous coach. I forget his name. You probably, probably know him in, in Dallas. And he says, Chuck, we don't care when we're drafting a player. We don't care how good they are. We don't care if their scores on all of their performance charts, all of their athleticism, all of their conditioning. We don't care if they're all tens. If we meet them and find they have no character, we don't draft them, period. See, character is who you really are. Character will determine how you will handle, A, the successes in life, because those can be just as tricky as the defeats. And they will, character will also, uh, character will also define how you handle the tragedies of life, the highs and the lows. Now, we all know people who, they live well. They make the right decisions. They somehow seem to absorb really harsh tragedies and hardship. They're people of character. And we know people who, who can't for the life of them hold it together. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling them bad. I'm just saying that's, what char- that's the difference between good and bad character. Now, if you want a picture of character in the Bible, there's a guy named Joseph. Of course, Jesus, but I'm, of course, Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph is a man of character. Of course, he has no shirt here. There's a story about that, of course. But if you think about Joseph's life, you remember Joseph's life? He is he's the son of Jacob. He's kind of a spoiled brat. But he's also a man of integrity. And you know that he has character because when he's sold from his brothers... 
or, or he's thrown in a pit and he ends up with slaves, it doesn't crush him. Then you find out that, oh, he's in a low spot. And then all of a sudden, he's the right-hand man of Pharaoh's right-hand man, Potiphar. And that doesn't overly inflate him. But then, then you find out that he's hoodwinked, right? That this woman wants an affair with Joseph, but he has too much integrity, so he doesn't go that way. And then she accuses him of impropriety, and that doesn't wreck him either. Then he goes to jail for a long time, and that doesn't crack him. And then he literally saves the king's life, remember, in jail, and they forget about him. And, but that doesn't make him lose track either. And then he's exalted to Pharaoh's right hand. I mean, you can't get a bigger position, but that doesn't overly inflate him either. All the way through, he's grounded, and then when his brothers come back, he doesn't treat them poorly. He treats them with grace, and he's grounded. And all the while through, you get this idea that Jacob understands that God is at work somewhere. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the moon, and I'm not going to go through the basement because God is at work. That is character. So the question is, how do we get it? How do your kids get it? How does little Waylon with that awesome head of hair get it? You're not born with it. You're not born with it. It's like, oh, we made a baby. He's got good kids. No, you've seen how two-year-olds are, unkempt. You, 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 don't, you don't get it by association. And I've said this before. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I, I think I'm a Christian because my grandpa was a pastor. It doesn't make you nothing. If your grandpa was a hamburger, it wouldn't make you a hamburger either. You don't get this stuff by association. Well, he's got such great people. In his, that's not how character is formed either. Psalm 119 tells us that character is formed by God's word. Now, I want all of you, there's a Bible in front of you. I want all of you to grab a Bible. I want you to try to open that Bible in the very middle as best you can. Okay? The very middle. I hope this goes right. Okay? One, two, three, go. What, where are you, Richard? Psalm 76. Psalm 76. Mike, where are you? You are not in the middle. <laughs> Someone else. Proverbs 19. I'm going to go with Richie's. Okay. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. Okay? Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. Why? Because it is, well, there's lots of reasons, but one reason is because prayer is to be in the middle of our lives. Psalm 119 is also in the middle. Near the middle. In Psalm 19, there's 176 verses. 171 of the verses, the words Scripture is mentioned in some way, shape, or form. What it tells us is, is that you, if you have no idea what Scripture is, you probably will not be able to understand how to get character. Okay? So character is not formed, is not formed by accident. It doesn't happen by chance. Now, why is Scripture so important? So why is reading Scripture to your kids, telling them the stories, listening to the stories as you're driving, as you're walking, grandparents telling your stories of faith and what Scripture has done, why is that so important? Because it shapes who we are. And it tells us about what life is like and who God is. So when I was a kid, my dad, he would he'd get a truck or he'd get a piece of equipment and you, he would have that beside his recliner for about a month. And I'm like, you don't understand how blinkers work? <laughs> like, 
He's like, no, I want to understand how this thing works, the maintenance schedule, the service schedule. I want to know how this thing works so that I can treat it and that it can last long. The Bible is that for you. The Bible is that for your kids. The Bible is the operator's manual on life. The Bible tells you who God is. Who is God? Is he good? Should I trust him? Is he faithful? Is he nice? Will he bend to my will or do I bend to his will? The Bible tells you about who you are. Who, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Well, you're made in his image. Why do I do bad things? Why do I continually do bad things? Why can I not stop doing bad things? How am I supposed to live with myself? How, am, am, I, am I supposed to forgive myself? It teaches about others, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does it tell me about my neighbor? How do I love them? How do I? So in our world today, and our, your kids are being taught this, by the way, in public school, you're, they're, they're basically animals. So is it any wonder why in our world today people are treating each other like animals? Because they think they are. See, the Word of God says, no, no, you're, you're human beings made in the image of God. And with that comes a responsibility to take care of God and yourself and each other. You don't get that anywhere else. Nothing else tells you that. The Word of God does. And so we teach our kids the Scriptures. I sometimes feel bad because I, I, I think my kids know a lot about, more about sports than they do about the Bible. They're getting there. But sports aren't going to get them through those hardships. Sports doesn't form character. Maybe a little bit. So one day Jesus, and this is in Matthew 22, he's having it out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you don't know Jesus, he's kind of the center of our faith. Jesus is having out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and one of the, after he whacks the Sadducees across the face a few times, the Pharisees say, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest command? What's the greatest command? Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first. And this is the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So, there we have it. You want to know how to treat God? You want to know how we treat each other? You want to know how you treat yourself? Study the scriptures. Know the scriptures. The scriptures are the code of life. They are how to live your life. They are how to build the foundation of your soul. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. Say that's when you press the button. Uh, is there a picture on there? Of the big house? Oh, yeah, but it's hidden. See, I do that sometimes. Okay, so don't look at, don't you dare look at that Bible verse. Has a pastor ever told you that before? Don't you dare. Okay, look at the picture behind it. I don't know if it was this house, but it was a house like this. A few years ago, a hurricane came through Florida. And it devastated almost every house. Reporters were driving around, and they're like, oh, that's interesting. They're driving around. And all of a sudden, they find a house like this. And the guy's in the front yard. He's taking palm branches off his lawn and all that kind of stuff. Reporter goes, urge, get the camera out. We've got to interview this guy. Like, well, he goes up to the guy. He says, sir, do you feel extremely lucky that your house is the only one standing in this community? He goes, no. Oh, do you find yourself very fortunate then? Like, uh, can you explain? He's like, no, uh, I built this house myself, and I built it exactly to code. So you have people in your life, some fall and some stand. Some can handle life, some can't. 
if we want to raise kids, we build them to code. We introduce the scriptures in their lives. We make it a priority that the Bible is number one. And yeah, all these screens, it's not easy. I, even find, I don't know about you, but I even find reading by the Bible in my own life probably the hardest thing to do. But the scripture is the code of life. It teaches us everything we need to know about how to live, how to treat each other, how to love God, and how to handle ourselves. The last thing is this. How do we make it stick? How do we make it stick? Or how do we grow in character? There's one thing to have a manual. There's another thing to, to, to live accordingly. I don't know about you, but I, I hope you guys have times as parents and maybe even as grandparents that you, that you ask yourselves these questions when it comes to child rearing. What do we really want for our kids? Right? So much of parenting is reactive. Right? Like, stop it! Don't! I, think, I honestly think for three years, one of my kids thought their name was Stop It. So reactive is always, don't do that, and don't do this, and do that, and do this. Proactive is, honey, what do, what do we want for our kids? Like, what do we really want them to be as adults? If you're not asking yourselves this regularly, put it on your fridge so that every month or every six months you ask this question. Do you want them to be rich? No. Do you want them to be sex? Thank you, successful. <laughs> Do you want them to be sexy? No, that's not the question. Do you want them to be successful? Well, it depends what success is. Do you want them to be happy? Well, it depends what happiness is. What we want for them is character. We want them to be able to live well. We want them to be able to treat people well. We want them to be able to value relationships. We want them to be able to, to treat their spouse well when, when and if they get married. We want them to be good citizens. We want them to be able to endure when life just smacks them across the face. We want character. And how do we make it stick or how do we make it grow? Well, we bring them to Jesus. There's a verse in Luke 22, I believe. Sid, Luke 22. Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. And this is absolutely mind-blowing. If, you want to, if your friend asks you, what's Scripture all about? What is Scripture all about? There's lots of verses in Scripture. So you're at a party and someone asks you that. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. Scripture is about Christ. Scripture is not about rules. It's not about... If you do this, you'll be a good boy like King David, who wasn't a good boy. That's all you want to be is good, okay? No. That's not, the, that's not the will of God for your life is just to be a good person. Your will of God is for you that, to know Christ. Christ Jesus as Lord. And so, what do you want for your kids? Is in the purview of, hey kids, isn't Jesus great? This is who Jesus is. Jesus is good. You can love Jesus. You can have Jesus in your heart. And who is Jesus? Well, it says in John 1, and you can pull that up, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is the living Word. And Jesus, upon your faith and belief in Christ, lives in you. He lives in you. So, as Christ lives in you, you take His shape. 
Well, how did Jesus treat people? Well. Jesus treated people well. Well, not the religious people. He, he smacked them around and they needed it. If you ever see Jesus mad in the New Testament, it's always those pesky religious people. They're the worst. They are. They're the mean. But all the people, he knew them. He treated them well. You want your, you want your child to, to turn out, treat people well? Teach him Jesus. Teach him that he lives inside of them. See, Jesus is the renewer. He renews us. Jesus has endless grace. He restores us. Jesus is alive. Jesus on the cross overpowered death. That means all those dead spots in your life, he can overcome. And so we don't just teach the scriptures. We teach the scriptures in view of Jesus Christ always. Always. Every story, every single story in scripture points to Jesus Christ. So we tie it in. You remember the Apostle Paul. He was a bad dude. Really bad dude. If you were a Christian around the Apostle Paul, you would not want to be around the Apostle Paul. That made no sense, but I think you know what I'm saying. He was a bad dude. He'd take you away from your children. He'd drag you away from your children. Your children would be left in the house, and he'd throw your butts in jail. He would hold the cloaks of people that stoned people with big, giant rocks where their kids watched. He was a bad dude. And so what the, the reality is some people think, yeah, well, Jesus could never restore me. I mean, that's kid stuff, right? That's for kids? No, it's not. It's not. Because maybe you're here today and you're wondering, okay, how the heck do I get my life back on the rails? What do I do about this pesky little sin? What do I do about this thing I have going on the side that I shouldn't have going? How do I get my life on track? I, I, Jesus. Jesus. He's how you get your life on track. Because even the Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. There's no one worse than me. And in the letter to the Galatians, he says, Through the law I died so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So if you want, to do your, you, you want your kid to do well, and if you want to do well, and if you're a person and you've seen your life go off the tracks, or you find, you find like you're hoping in stuff that just never works out. You put your hope on this thing. It just doesn't work out. Have you met Jesus Christ yet? Jesus Christ is what we give our kids. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift we can ever give ourselves. And by far the greatest gift we can give the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, how awesome you are. Nothing surprises you. You've seen it all. There isn't a sin you haven't forgiven. And as we did today, where we give our kids yet again to you again, Lord, we ask that you will help us, whether they're kids or grandkids, nieces, nephews, little friends. God, we help. We ask you to point to morality, point to you, the God of grace. Thank you for your love demonstrated on that cruel cross. And we thank you that you're alive. In your awesome name, amen.